Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm joined by Metal and Dust founder Kelly Corzen. Kelly's a wonderfully layered, complex, fascinating character in all the right ways. The kind of person who'd maybe want to get into this industry in the first place. And we're going to talk about fellow hometown dweller Mark Chagall. We're going to talk about Palm. We're going to talk about the shadow and why you've got to assimilate that into your life to lead a fulfilling one and all the other good stuff. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I hope you're well. How's your creativity? It's been a discombobulating time as ever. Um, for me, it's been largely good. I probably mentioned on several shows I turned a, a personal mental health corner not too long back. Not that I was particularly suffering in any discernible way, but the existential crises were getting deep. I was caught up. I was strung up by the climate crisis, and who wouldn't be? I mean, look at the state of it out there. But I was letting those thoughts just run me over, drag me down that spiral. Um, and I've just been doing a lot of research. I've been looking into thought processes and why these sensitive brains that make up a high percentage of our creative industry are very susceptible to what we're exposed to and why we have to learn to understand their mechanisms in order to get a better handle on them. And that's something I've been working at over these last six months. And today's guest, Kelly Corzen, can relate to that we had conversations aside from this show we got into the shadow and the dark part of ourselves on the show which is really interesting and i hope you're going to enjoy that but first a little thank you to the supporter of the show illustration x my very much appreciated founding sponsor and um, they, they represent global range of illustrators animators set designers live illustrators and artists portrait artists you name it they've got it Check them all out at illustrationx.com. Uh, they're also a certified B Corp. And if you listen to the recent episode with Pretty Clever's John Burton, who are very proudly also a B Corp, you will find out a little bit more about that and, and what it means and why it's a, a hardened kind of for good badge of honour. Um, but yeah, go and check it out further. So yeah, Kelly Cousin, Kelly was speaking at this year's Off Festival where I was speaking for the first time in Barcelona. And we'd been in touch before the festival, we'd looked forward to meeting, and we'd promised to come and see each other's talk, <laughs> which neither of us managed to do. Because what happens is you kind of get, call it nerves, call it anxiety, call it pre-performance um, apprehension. Essentially, we both got very consumed on the day of our talks, and we fell within a couple of hours of each other on the Saturday. Um, so we ended up missing each other, which was a real shame. But, you know, we'd had this conversation, we'd found great interest in what each of us were doing, and so we agreed to have this conversation. 
So Kelly, originally from Belarus, has got this amazing story of moving to the States and landing in Chicago and finding this very serendipitous thread that she would later come to find out married up with the, the career and the life and the journey of Mark Chagall, who's also from Belarus. And um, what I found interesting is I, I still didn't quite know what Kelly did. Now, I knew she was the founder and, and the person behind Metal and Dust, which you can check out at Metal N, Dust with a V, dot com. Um, and it's a series of interviews with artists and, and features on artists, and she's in love with art and artists. But as we're going to talk about, she made a promise to herself not to tr- not to even try to monetize her art because it was really important to her to keep it pure and to not find herself in that position where she would have to compromise at all. And you have to admire that. So, so Kelly works in tech, um, and we're going to get you know well into the reasons why she made that decision. And what was really interesting, as I mentioned in the show, I, I've recently read Graham Coxon from Blur's autobiography, and, and Graham talks about how, despite adoring art and studying and graduating from Goldsmiths, he chose not to pursue it in a professional manner because he just believed it for the same reasons as Kelly almost. It would kill what he loved about it, and he knew that music was the way that he could make a living uh, in the arts. So a very, very, very interesting, you know, stances, and it kind of resonates with my first couple of years and why I chose not to become an illustrator right out of the traps because I knew that I would be under immense pressure to make a living and would make bad creative decisions and surrender too much before I'd had a chance to build my own identity. Anyway, this is not about me. I I mentioned that recently in relation to the um, latest round of scandalous government proposals to, to cull various courses because they are not delivering good earnings for graduates within the first, you know, six months, which is mental when you think about creativity and the way the way that we're all on different timelines for that. And that was very much the case for me. If, if you'd taken into account, you know, after six months what was going on for me, I was working full-time at Waterstones on what was probably less than 20k, you know, and it, and it would have looked like not only a bad start, but it wouldn't have made any sense because I was working in retail and I hadn't tried to pursue a career in illustration. <sighs> I could go on all day, and we have done on this show in the past, but let's not go there again today, because it's not about that. I'm excited to bring you Kelly. We've got some shows coming up that just um, make my heart sing, make my soul scream. Got Jane Graneman, co-author of Sensitive, The Power of a Thoughtful Mind in an Overwhelming World. We've got Kimberly Wilson coming up talking about nutrition and whole body mental health, which is just, again, it's just stunning stuff. We've got Mac Ferrari and Jake 100, co-founders of Bike Storms. Major, major stuff coming up. So look forward to all of them. Thank you for the support so far. Keep in touch at Ben Talon on social or at Ben Talon, no, sorry, at Creative Condition underscore. But I do check the Ben Talon ones a lot more. Or hello at bentalon.com. It's always the quickest form of communication with me. I am becoming a little jaded with social these days and I'm having to kind of really focus on a couple which at the moment are LinkedIn and Instagram. So there you go. Interested in hearing about that too. Maybe we'll do something covering that before too long. But there we have it. Um, Oh, as far as the book as well. So if you're on LinkedIn, do us a favour and go and subscribe. If it's of interest to the Creative Condition newsletter, you'll find the links on my profile. Um, I'm sharing in the build-up to the book, which is going to be spring next year, 2024, the Creative Condition. 
Um, and I'm also going to be announcing before too long in the next couple of months a crowdfunding campaign. And I hope you guys will consider supporting me because, my word, it's not cheap getting an independent book off the ground. But the things I want to do with this book and my, how I want to up my con contributions to creativity and its place in society is becoming something of a life mission. But we'll have that conversation down the road. Check out the, uh, the blog posts on the newsletter for now. Anyway, oh, and Champagne and Wax Crayons, my first book, is still half price over at bentallenwriter.com if you want to see more of my writing. Or if you just want to get a flavour for free, head to designweek.co.uk and stick in my name in the search tool. You'll find all my columns. Right, that's enough rambling. Kelly Corzen, founder of Metal and Dust. Enjoy. Mark Chagall is probably at the core of everything that I do artistically. We come from the same town. I was born in Vitebsk, which used to be a part of Russian Empire back in the day, but now it's a part of modern-day Belarus. One of my dreams was to get accepted into Mark Chagall Art School because I knew how incredible it was and um, it was just such an honor to be surrounded by those historic walls and just to absorb all of that legacy. We had a few Marc Chagall posters in our household. Marc Chagall Museum, uh, which was very close to my regular school. We have just so many different sites in the city that are associated with Marc Chagall. My hometown is considered a city of artists. Back in the day, it used to be a center of Russian avant-garde. And a lot of great artists like Kazimir Malevich, Elisitsky, used to come there and um, ever since I discovered Marshall, I just became so fascinated with the way he used color and different textures and also his style in general is so poetic so I think that I resonated with that a lot. It all looks very surreal but at the same time his attention to detail is just incredible. Objects and people just floating around. There's no gravity in the way. All of that looks very dreamy. It's almost like an inception, you know, like a dream in a dream in a dream. So yeah. ever since he went to, to Paris, he was a Jew that had to migrate there to continue pursuing his um, aspirations as an artist. Even when he was painting Paris, he would always incorporate little scenes from his hometown, from his childhood. He wasn't able to go back there. Mm. He was just deeply traumatized by this um, unfortunate situation that he wasn't able to go back to his hometown and to be appreciated the same way he was appreciated in, in Paris and in Europe. So I think that his poetic way of expressing those visuals is something that I resonated with. As an artist, I kind of have a very similar approach. Any ideas usually come to me in the form of highly detailed vision. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of that also has um, that poetic, surreal quality to it, but also it has a lot of details. It's real, like it's real people, it's real objects, but something about the way you convey this message is very surreal in a way, if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, cre it creates a almost a broader spectrum that invites the viewer in. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. I think yeah, absolutely maybe leaves them room to kind of don't know if dream is the right word I think you slightly remove it from by being grounded in reality is very powerful but then I think it just offers up a little more room for imagination for both the viewer I guess and the artist so to grow up around the school and kind of did this because I'm, I'm fascinated by the nature and nurture and I know that particularly with your dad right you would have had encouragement for your creative side is that right yeah but i think it's a little bit of both i think it's both yeah i think it's both nature and nurture this specific city already stimulates you to be inspired by art to a certain extent but i think that we are born with with a specific personality Mm -hmm. so yes environment is important but at the same time you kind of need to connect to that environment on the emotional level and you need to be sensitive enough to tell into that energy in a way. The fact that I come from a very artistic family in general, it also helped a lot. But I don't know where it's coming from. I always knew somehow that this is what I'm supposed to be doing for life. Mm -hmm. I just knew that. Any other creative forms, writing, I also enjoyed that as well. But I think the reason why I was so obsessed with both drawing and writing as a kid was probably because of the fact that you hold something very tangible in your hand. This act of creating something out of nothing using specific tools has always been fascinating to me. But there's something very spiritual in my perception. Whatever you had in your mind gets extrapolated. It's incredible to physically realize and see this transition. I think it still fascinates me. It's magic to me. It always has been. So I grew up around Haworth in West Yorkshire, which is just up the road from my family and it's known as Bronte country. So do you, you know, the Bronte sisters. Mm-hmm. So I guess that in some ways, are, you know, perhaps an equivalent to your Chigal in that I grew up completely immersed in this idea of the Bronte sisters, but I didn't really get to know a great deal about them until I was a little older and I became more consciously interested in the arts. And um, but I've gone back to that recently in, in writing this next book. And, and something that I found fascinating is this idea of conduits. So when you're a kid and this, this very natural process of making happens and we don't put too much on it because that's the beautiful thing about being young right we're not we're not poisoned by the idea of career and results and exams and everything else at this age so it's very pure and it's this very um broad dance i suppose is one way to put it but with we along the way we find these conduits right so be it could be a toy it could be a pencil all the things you just described there's not really a particular thing that it has to be but this is an individual process but i've been exploring this idea of conduits and these things that become vehicles for us to express these things that we find some kind of passion in there's a beautiful story about the bronte sisters and what happened was that the, the father patrick bronte he brought this set of four wooden toy soldiers back to the house and then now this we're talking what 1820s 1816 i think so times were you know difficult a lot of illness so they were they were quite sheltered lives that the sisters lived anyway patrick brought back these toy soldiers and he gave them to bramwell his son and then they were of course taken by the sisters one one toy each and what happened was there was this incredible just explosion of storytelling that began to happen through these toy soldiers and the story goes that even though they lived quite sheltered lives they were exposed to just all literature in the house they had access to the entire library of, of the father and then the people who worked in the house would would tell stories all the time whether it was their own stories or just stories to entertain the children so when they got these soldiers this explosion 
of of stories began to happen and they created these entire fictional worlds and of course this went on to become classic novels Wuthering Heights Jane Eyre and I just find that incredible because I think we've all got these kind of these conduits along the way and I started mm-hmm. to look back at my own story and you know I think of things like wrestling figures that that for me that these were conduits because it wasn't so much about who was winning and losing in the wrestling. For me, on a subconscious level, it was the colour of the uniform. It was the storytelling, the larger than life. All these sensory things that you can't understand as a child, but just feel incredible. I just find that really, really fascinating. So I guess to put that in a question, can you think of anything in your story in terms of conduits or things that just enlivened you and and, and took you to some new place as you, as you got older? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's interesting that you mentioned Bronte sisters. And let me just, I'm going to try to test my memory. It's Charlotte, Emily, and I think Anne. Yes. I read some of their books growing up because interestingly, one of those influences has always been a book. My father, he is a professional jazz musician. He plays uh, electric guitar. I grew up in the Soviet Union and after the Soviet Union collapsed, we didn't have a lot of things. Many of my peers, they didn't have TV growing up in their room. I also didn't have TV only in my in my parents' room. Being that kid in like the early 90s in Soviet Union, you kind of always had to entertain yourself. Parents, they were always working. And when things got more complicated financially, some of my friends' parents had to give up their jobs. They had to work double shifts. And I remember in my room, I didn't have TV or anything, but my main assets, my main resources were books, fortunately, and uh, a double deck cassette player, a lot of uh, classic literature. And that's why I'm familiar with Stendhal, with Bronte sisters. I was just so hungry for knowledge. I was so hungry for experiences that I would just read all of those books cover to cover. Even now, it's such a huge part of my life. I was able to preserve that passion and carry with me throughout all those years. Not going to tell how many years because then people will <laughs> tell how old I am. And I'm pretty old. I'm, I'm 37, it's not a secret. Being exposed to both classic literature and jazz already creates a very atypical environment. If I think about the earliest influences, that would be literature, Marc Chagall's legacy, jazz and soul music. And Whitney, of course, because by now everyone knows how much she she means to me. She's been a huge part of my childhood and my creative approach as well. Mm. Yeah, I think these things are almost signposts along the way, aren't they? Because you, like you said, it's it's really. I think it's actually really important that we don't know how to articulate these things in our younger years because that's the joy. The joy is spending time with them and, and listening to feelings because the the conscious mind we can't articulate that, and nor should we try in those years. So I think it's beautiful when we find these things along the way and we feel so strongly about them. I, I just I could listen to people talking about those things that they connect with with such fire all day i think it's an amazing thing and and people's passions just enliven me all the time there's something there's a quote the chagall quote and i I made a note of this when i was researching you and it was the um, poverty enriched me but now i can afford wealth it's just incredible that's uh, that's Mm -hmm. mind-blowing in its gravity um the picture you painted me there of Soviet Union and the kind of hardships of people working double shifts and that kind of culture do you think that played any part on a nurture level in your own fire, because you seem to have a real passion, a real burning 
aspire to to forge your own path and to make things happen for yourself, which is a very admirable trait. Do you think on a nurture level, some of that does, does did that play a part? I think it played a huge part on many different levels. I think the upside for me is that I never take things for granted. I still have this fighter mentality that everything can be taken away from me tomorrow. And whatever you want in this life, you need to work really, really hard to achieve that. But if you're doing that with all of your determination, with an open heart, then everything is going to align. I'm uh, I'm very appreciative of any opportunity that comes my way. The downside is emotional intelligence coming from our parents was something that was missing. Emotionally, everyone is pretty reserved on the outside, but that doesn't mean that people are reserved on the inside. They can be very open, but it takes time for them to let you in. Emotional intelligence comes from our own lived experiences. It's not something that we inherited. No one knows what to do with their emotions, which can be difficult when you're a creative. We still need to figure out how to make it all work while also healing our past trauma. Mm. And I would imagine your creativity has been a great I mean, I, I guess not. Maybe not an alternative, but a way to a way to explore those feelings, perhaps. I'm a true believer that we are brought into this world to create, to use our natural talents, and also to explore the world, including exploring ourselves. We all have a certain duality. It's such a mistake that I see that a lot of uh, creatives I know are making is that they're trying to conceal whatever dark or negative side they notice instead of coming to peace with this side. We all have a dark side. There's a term uh, shadow. I found that shadow to be one of my best friends. That shadow is going to stay with me till the day I die. It's the closest thing to me that I know. Yes, I have my lighter side and it's there and it's great. Uh, but this is also a very important side of me and my and my process. I think that life should be enjoyed. I cannot enjoy my life if I do not cater to these opposite sides. Mm -hmm. I need my dark side. I just don't believe in suppressing mm -hmm. your shadow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And he, and just this morning before we talked, I've been I've been reading on Carl Jung and about the assimilation of the dark and the light. Mm -hmm. And it is it's completely true. And I've 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 been very fortunate in that I met a group of friends when I was fourteen or fifteen. And in the most kind of teenage silly way, we were just so completely at ease with one another and very open and very silly and and but what was beautiful was we were very we were also we wore our hat on our sleeves and that was we, and that was quite unique for that age nobody else did not at school and and that was a real blessing for me and it and it taught me the value of owning that dark side and and ever since then i've just been more and more fascinated by that and kind of been very open and sometimes you kind of see people shrivel when you say these things that are considered less socially acceptable but i love that because it's empowering and you often will create a nice boundary 
that keeps people that you are perhaps not, you know, better off not being around, but it will attract mm-hmm. the right people and who inform your, your world even better. And then as soon as I walked into design college, everything changed because it was just, it gave form to all that stuff and gave me this great space that I could channel that into. And even now in short fiction, it's kept me sane in the last few years, you know, um, with just certain personal laws to do with the climate and things like that. Writing in particular has been of great catharsis because it's I've been able to create characters and narratives um, to to write through those insurmountable things in my life. I think you're absolutely right. The shadow, the shadow is just yeah, is absolutely real. And I think the sooner that you can assimilate that into your world and, and welcome it in, then I think life just becomes a little bit easier to navigate. Thank God. Now I live in the environment where I don't need to question those things that much. Yeah, I need to question other things right now because everything is political. So you need to think twice before okay. you even say anything. But it's funny that you mentioned uh, Carl Jung because um, in high school, uh, German philosophy of the 20th century was my major. You touched upon writing and um, how therapeutic it is. The thing that I do with Metal and Dust, it's a pretty unorthodox way to run. I wouldn't say like a media outlet is just me. I've never been formally trained as a writer. I think that, that I tend to attack text as a, as a designer rather than a writer. I like working with text from a designer's perspective. I think it actually creates an interesting result. Whatever perspective you have, it always adds something to the output. It's a part of your experience that you should never remove because it makes you who you are and it makes the product that you're producing very unique. That's one of the reasons why I, I just really enjoy crafting that narrative in the form of text. And I know that now people consume information in a very different way. And the attention span has dropped from 12 seconds 20 years ago to just eight seconds as of last year. I know for a fact that there are people that actually still appreciate content being put out there in this specific form. No, but written the written interview is still a, a beautiful medium, in my opinion. You know, like I, I recently subscribed to Idler magazine, which is about mm-hmm. a fulfilling, slower pace of life. And, you know, it gets into Greek philosophy and all these things. But there's just something beautiful about that magazine coming through the door every couple of months and kind of just stepping away from all the noise and just reading written interviews, I think, and, and articles, I think it's beautiful. And I think there's still a lot of people who do cherish that. So I, I think you're absolutely right to go with what feels good because you're not going to be alone. It's also a big part of my uh, of my approach and my philosophy. When you're true to yourself as an artist, when you're unapologetically creative, it attracts other people like you into your life. And it helps you start feeling even if for a very brief moment that you're not alone in this world being internally orchestrated like that Mm -hmm. we want to be accepted we always feel like our art is what we're being judged by but it kind of becomes your your mask this is something that you put out there kind of like front and center Mm -hmm. and you create and when you do it in a way that is true to you and it feels right then you create forward motion and Mm -hmm. i know I know we both kind of whatever you you know we've talked about this whatever you want to call it the weave flow um you know there's there's something isn't there there's a collective motion forward motion seems to open doors and connect you with 
like you said, like-minded people and people who can help, you know, mutually activate one another. And I think that's one of the most beautiful feelings when that happens. It's again, it goes back to the thing of it's hard to articulate these things because we feel it. You know, we don't say it. It's a it's a feeling, but it's it's real and it's magic. And I think anyone who's done that, who's put something out there that's pure and has seen the effect that has, will agree. I'm sure. So when you first went to the States, was it New York first or Chicago first? It was Chicago back in twenty. 11. Let's talk about that because that's a, that's quite the story. It's always going to be a special city for me for um, for many reasons. Back in 2011, um, I was invited to come to Chicago to work for a big consulting company. My upbringing was very much informed and influenced by Western culture. For whatever reason, I wasn't thinking about moving to the United States specifically. But then this opportunity popped up out of nowhere. And I decided to give it a try. Chicago as a city also has this duality to it, very stoic image about it. But there's also a lot of uh, things that are happening in the realm of uh, music. One of the best jazz clubs in the entire world are coming from this mecca of jazz, mecca of art, uh, mecca of hip hop as well. It embraced me and I felt like I finally landed. All of those dots connected in a very beautiful, serendipitous way. And then only later, I found out that Mark Chagall, he actually lived there for two years. He was commissioned to do so many beautiful projects throughout the city. It was his favorite place in the United States. He went back and forth between New York and Chicago. So yeah, it was just probably meant to be. I still go to Chicago every summer. I just need to be there. I need to visit my friends. I need to feel this incredible energy. But I always like coming to those formative places. Sometimes we need to come to places where nothing has changed to realize how much we've changed. Whenever I have an opportunity to go to my hometown, uh, my actual hometown, or whenever I have an opportunity to go to Chicago, which I consider my U.S. hometown, I always try to do that because it helps me to not only connect with the with the person I was many years ago, but also gives you perspective of where you are at right now and where you want to go next mm. I, I love your way of considering locations as you know with the characteristics and i think that's fantastic one friend recently described it as almost specters you know it's like when you there's something about the older i get when i return to places that i once lived or i had any kind of connection to you come back a different evolution of yourself almost you know you've you've moved on with your life but that old version of yourself is still there you can still feel it and i and i know this is getting really metaphysical now but it's that's you know that's real and it's and it's it's i love that because it, again this goes back to the shadow thing it's like you can almost feel that version of yourself which was absolutely beautiful and right at the time but now you're different and there's just the two of you are there almost you know in different ways mm -hmm. i just yeah. i love that and i just that's why i love returning to places and kind of feeling what's happened what's changed and what did i learn here and and, and what were those stories i'm used to the fact that i've been breaking so many patterns but if there's anything i want to do in this life i want to show people that they can be whoever they want to be both on a personal level and on a creative level or on many different physical level also there's so many topics that tend to be avoided in our society 
I always try to take a step further. Maybe I'm going to be misunderstood, but I would rather do that. Yeah. And I think yeah, it's, it's, it's that disarming effect. And it's just when it comes from a place of love, it's and it's genuine, then, you know, you can afford, to, like you say, you can afford to maybe stumble over a question or perhaps get something slightly wrong. And that's fine because it's, it's, it's coming, it's good. And it's up to people then to correct. And then we have this lovely dialogue and discussion and we can all be quite open and, and learn from one another. You know, that's one of the biggest joys of creativity for me. I'll never forget dropping the shackles of that high school, everyone trying to fit in, nobody wanting to seem weak in any way. And then suddenly you get to art college and, oh my God, I, I never forget the explosion of just the conversations and the interesting people. And, and I just fell in love immediately with it. And I've chased that feeling ever since. And I, I equate it to magic. I, I always call it magic because that's what it feels like to me. And I think those conversations are just a, a really important part of that. So why do you do Metal and Dust? Because I love your interviews and I think it's great that you still do the written interviews. Was there an, what was the, why did you start it? And, and where are you at now in terms of your motivations for doing it? By a complete accident. When I was younger, I, um, I had experience writing for different publications, both in, um, in Europe and in the United States. I've always been uh, into fashion. I've always been into jewelry and accessories uh, specifically. Growing up with my dad, we had to DIY a lot of things, including uh, amplifiers for electric guitars. I had an understanding of how to solder components or how to solder metal. I just had to teach myself how to solder brass because I wanted to make gold tone jewelry. I uh, came up with a collection of um, 13, 15 pieces, almost like an art project. I didn't have any ambitions to become a jewelry designer. I styled the, the lookbook. I uh, did creative direction. I put it out there. I already paid for my Squarespace account. And I was just thinking that I need to come up with some way to populate the website with some type of content like what kind of content can i potentially produce being a very private person i didn't want to share anything about my personal life i didn't want to be a blogger although it was pretty popular back then maybe just start interviewing my friends from the creative industry i would always post those interviews on uh, on pinterest later museum magazine approached me asking if i would be interested in uh, interviewing for the magazine and writing for the magazine. And I was also attending a lot of art-related events and art openings in the evenings, reviewing books, exhibitions. And this is where a lot of that confidence and experience as a writer came from. Because again, I'm not formally trained. So of course, I felt like a complete imposter. I learned a lot. Seeing those interviews and articles as just tasks helps you to build up your experience as a writer. I feel a lot more confident now, and it definitely comes from that experience working for a museum magazine in New York. When it comes to my goals with Metal and Dust, talking to interesting people, healing my own trauma through navigating all the questions that I want to ask different creatives, and uh, you get to create this beautiful connection. My main goal is to introduce those amazing artists that I come across to the audience. If you step people on the street and ask 
them do know who Stefan Stegmeister is. 99.5% will tell you that they have no idea who he is. And I want to be this um, advocate to not only promote those artists, but also open them up in a way that no one expected. Yeah. And I want people to understand that I'm not a media outlet. And I approach it from a very personal standpoint, but because my background is so diverse, I have a pretty solid grasp of um, what's happening in the industry, but I don't approach that many, to be honest, because again, it needs to come from a very sincere space. But the fact that I'm so emotionally invested in this whole thing produces a better interview. That makes sense. And I, I think what the big thing that comes through that for me is, and it's the same for me, is that we're, we're, we're both, albeit slightly different ways, we're both serving something bigger, aren't we? We're, 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 we're serving art and creativity and it's and it's it's that's we're championing this bigger ecosystem by revealing these people that are doing incredible things and the, and, and their individuality and i think it not only does it inspire others but it, it also gives signposts and clues and it shows how people are doing things and and that's why this is an on for me is an ongoing exploration of creativity and uh, human creativity and all the, the many 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 infinite forms of manifestations that that can look like and i think that the more of those that i leave behind this trail i want to leave an archive no matter how big so that people can connect with any tiny aspect of any interview and learn something new about themselves and activate something and if i can do that no matter how niche it is then i've 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 served something bigger than myself something that i think is fundamental to human happiness so it gets deep it gets bigger but also just like you said it's just a nerdy pleasure as well because i love what that person's doing and i want to talk about it you know so it's it's many different levels and you mentioned kind of taboo and personal. Maybe it's not quite taboo because you mentioned it, but porn. Let's talk about porn. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, way, the way you say it with your uh, British accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, now things are going to get uh, uh, ju juicier towards the end of this whole thing. Growing up, I discovered porn uh, or porn as you as you <laughs> pronounce that porn like it doesn't like it doesn't have like this uh doesn't have a kick to it the way you say it is very bronte sister-esque like too yeah. proper yeah too proper the sledgehammer <laughs> uh yeah I, I discovered porn pretty early on i think it was uh, around seven or something like that so i think that what it did to me it just removed all of that stigma i didn't see it as something sinful i don't know i didn't see anything wrong with that and it comes down to vulnerability again doesn't it and it's, and it's yeah, yeah. I, you know and it's the same i mean i didn't there were no cassettes there were no tapes in in my household but there were always carrier bags full of porn magazines under bushes and you know like i don't know it was a that was a very generational thing and i i grew up near this old mill which was on its knees by the time i was able to go and play out on my own so I would hang around with all the kids and they knew where there was a carrier bag full of like old. Yeah, but I didn't have access to any porn magazines when I was growing up. No, uh, no printed content was um, available to me when I was uh, growing up. So once you see the movie, like what's the point of like flipping through the magazine? Like, you know, well, exactly. you have like a movie, you have a movie, you know, exactly. picture. I, I was, I, like it's I, a lot better. I was behind i was analog but it was like but the best thing was if this in the same way those conversations around these discoveries were happening in the kind of privacy of these groups of friends so actually i think that helped me 
to kind of again it it was another barrier broken down in the best way and of course yeah. you know I, my parents you know they, they they taught me about the the kind of you know what's the way to put it the idea you know that that the idea of not just saying anything to anyone anytime i knew when i could talk about this and who with but it was great because that, that was then suddenly normalized in a way so i didn't it wasn't an issue when I, when i got to college and things like that so actually in the same way even though it was kind of in a printed version it was this interesting process of encountering these things in an age when i think we had a little more time so you know we didn't have the internet and i'm not saying that's an entirely bad thing but it for me it meant that i could spend time reflecting on this and digest it and talk about it in these times when we had more time to talk and just hang out and kick a ball around and it was like yeah it's interesting actually that's something to yeah and i think that uh, to a certain extent it definitely informed the way i approach um, vulnerability in my art this appreciation for human body for eroticism for sexuality but yeah it's not too explicit but it's still there you should not be ashamed of your former experiences and i think that it's extremely important to realize that this is your id this is what makes you explicitly unique mm -hmm. yeah that's the well what's the famous saying it's the thief of joy and it's that's your tapestry that's what makes every one of us unique and if you can't channel that then do something else <laughs> but it's um <laughs> but no it's, it's important it's, it's incredible and um i'm aware of how long i've kept you but well another thing i wanted to touch upon was your causes you worked in tech and and, and i'm aware that you don't do your art you know to make your living so let's talk about the causes that you contribute to through your art and why i just wanted to make sure that i'm gonna be doing well uh, financially because again having this fighter mentality i just wanted to be autonomous i wanted to be able to provide for myself and have this freedom to express myself creatively so that's when i made this pact with myself that none of my art is gonna ever be commercial that i'm gonna be making money in tech so that i can financially support myself without being worried about different ways of how my financial situation can impact my art making process. I didn't want to feel pressured to make more art. I wanted art to remain my playground. I wanted to feel like this kid in a sandbox without feeling like I'm being supervised by a grown-up. I just wanted to explore. I still do right now with the help of the Archers, this amazing digital collective where I get to donate 100% of their proceeds to nonprofit organizations doing meaningful work every day. In my case, I'm donating to Feeding America and the NAACP Legal Fund fighting racial injustice. So that's my way to leverage that money. I don't want it to be a part of my process. No, I think that's uh, quite beautiful, actually. I just finished reading Graham Coxon from Blur, so I'll talk about mm -hmm. And he talks about making the decision after graduating from Goldsmiths to, to make art his his personal thing because he just didn't see a way that he could retain what he needed from his art uh, if he was to go and try and make a living from it. And I, I think that's... I, I love to hear that because... I think it shows purity. It's not so much a badge of honour, but it's right for you. And I think that's really important because I'm, I'm in exactly that place with my writing. I, I don't write to make money. I hope that one day I will because I'd love to be a, an author, so you know, a full-time author at some point. But because at the moment it's, it's become kind of my level chief passion with my art. But um, what's wonderful, and I made a promise to myself when I started to do it, was that I was going to do it in complete purity to myself for reasons that I felt could contribute to improving the world some way even if 
tiniest, tiny way. So I'm very lucky now that I'm, I'm able to pay my full-time living from being an illustrator, which is incredible because I'm feeding one dream. My current dream, I'm feeding the new dream. That's the only thing that I want to be protected. I want to protect my inner child. That is the master of putting all of that stuff out there. Yeah. I want to be able to tap into that space anytime I want and feel like, okay, this is home. This is where I feel safe. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have just that Why, what, 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 for yourself, no matter what, no matter what your thing is, you have to have something that is not subject to this consumerist world that we live in. I think no matter what this, you know, how big, how small, I think we need that as humans. So I think that's beautiful that you've made that decision. And I think it's really a um, great lesson, actually. There's no right or wrong when it comes to art, but you have to have something, you know, that is yours and is not for financial gain. I think that's really important in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank well, you. we've talked for a long time and I think we've covered most things. Um, it's been amazing. Really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you ever so much. To Kelly for taking the time out of her equally manic schedule to my own. We've got those brains where we do too much, but we love it, and then we slow down and we speed up and we're right back in the chaos and being overwhelmed. And oh my word, I mean, we, we talked for over two hours. It's a heavyweight conversation. And I, I did tell you we're putting the entire thing out, but we had, we had a chat and Kelly felt it was better to to trim that down to you know to, to get something distilled from it. So here you have it and I hope you've enjoyed it let me know your thoughts you can check out Kelly over at metalanddust.com and I'm spelling that metal and dust with a v dot com awesome interviews really really worth a deep dive into that put some time to one side and check her out on social I don't have a handle here right now but I think it's at metal and dust with a v the same so there you go um, google her anyway not difficult to find Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you to the founding sponsor of the show, Illustration X. We are Illustration X on social, illustrationx.com for all their global range of illustration and animation portfolios. They're fantastic. They're expanding all the time. They're a B Corp. They're doing wonderful work out there for our industry, including protecting us um, in terms of AI and all that stuff and intellectual property. And let me know what you've been up to. If there's a good show, that I, you know, let me know. I'm happy to cover it. I've got so many friends who we've just gone, should we have a chat about that on air and do a podcast? Yep, why not? There we go. And uh, some of those have been some of the most popular episodes I've ever done as I hurtle up to 200. Can you believe that? As I mentioned earlier, um, I've been distilling a lot of these interviews and pulling quotes for The Creative Condition, which is a monster of a book, and it's in its first edit right now, so I'm going to be announcing a crowdfunder for that before too long. So keep your eyes peeled. Go and check out the newsletter LinkedIn Creative Condition. That's jumbled up, isn't it? Oh my God, my brain is tired. Anyway, thank you so much, guys. Thank you to Kelly again. We've got some big, big shows coming up, including Tom Hodgkinson, founder of The Idler, talking about idling and slowing down a little bit to protect ourselves from just being overwhelmed all the time. Oh, it's hard work. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Stay creative. Have a good week. <laughs>